Oh my goodness. Welcome back. Welcome back to Confessions of a High Strung Woman. I am Abby Walker, and I am so honored that you would take just a little bit of time out of your crazy busy day, your crazy busy life, and spend some time with me just kind of chatting it up about life as a high-strung woman. I am by no means an expert at being a high-strung woman, um, but I am somebody that feels like deeply called to simply share my story and share, share some of my experiences. And um, last week, I get to give you guys a little bit of an introduction to how I kind of landed at this whole place of being a high-strung woman and how deeply that has affected both my relationship with the Lord and then also with the world around me. And so today I'm so pumped to get to share with you um, a little little segment I call Gentle and Quiet Spirit. Uh, That's going to be a no. It's going to be a no for me. Um, This is some of what I got to share on a Sunday morning at my dad's church, my home church here in San Antonio, Texas, called Alamo City. And I don't know what happened to my dad, y'all, because, I mean, for at least 24 hours, he lost all sense and was like, hey, Ab, would you like to speak some Sunday morning? Would you like to share your heart? And um, I got to tell you, that Sunday morning, like, I don't think anybody was more nervous than him because I think it kind of settled in that he was like, oh, oh, what have I done? I have given a very loud microphone and PA to my wild-hearted, strongly spirited, loud-mouthed daughter, and now I just have to sit here on the front row and listen. (laughs) I mean, maybe the only person who was more nervous was probably my husband because, I mean, let's be honest, he gets... He gets nervous pretty much any time I have a microphone and I'm not singing. Like when I can just freely speak, he's like, Lord, who even knows? What? Who knows what's going to come out of her mouth? But not only did we survive that Sunday morning through two services, I might add, it was an incredible experience for me. And it, it really was a big part of what's led me back here to this place with you guys today of um, remembering how much that I really enjoy getting to speak and getting to, you know, kind of share my stories, but mostly to get to talk about what I have learned and um, who I have ex- personally experienced Jesus to be. Okay. So like not, this is who everybody tells me he is. And this is what this pastor interprets as scripture in this application. I'm talking like the real Jesus who stepped right up all up in the middle of my craziness and met me there and has loved me and has, completely changed my perspective in my life on what it means to be me. Because I didn't naturally fit anywhere. As we talked about last week, I was loud. I was too much. I don't mean loud, just like volume. I mean, I'm loud. I understand that. But um, there was just a lot going on inside of me. And that's not the easiest to manage. And it definitely can just sound like a threat to a lot of people and a lot of systems. I have been overwhelmed. I mean, this week, you guys, I've gotten messages from people that I love dearly and then people that I didn't even know that were like, oh my gosh, 
Confessions of a High Strung Woman is for me. I got a message from um, one of my girlfriends in the Texas music scene, and she was like, I literally quit my corporate job because I was told that my personality was too big, and I was intimidating all of my coworkers. And y'all, I know this girl. Like, she is a big personality. She is, like, a force to be reckoned with, but she's absolutely somebody that you can work with. But because we're so misunderstood, and because some people just get, like, real cray (laughs) like they just get really crazy when they encounter a lot of anything and um that's contributed to a lot of stories I think that we have told ourselves and we have lived out that we are too much and then somehow at the same time we're not enough right we said this last week we're too much of all the things that nobody likes apparently and we're not enough of the things that everybody likes Well, this is a little bit of uh, my story, like the narrative in my life of the particular set of expectations and pressures that I felt um, and walked through in terms of what it meant to be a woman and like what it looked like to do it the right way. Because y'all, let's be honest, like, first of all, there's absolutely a right and a wrong way according to, you know, the systems that we live in to be a woman in our families in our industry, in our friendships, in our churches, in our mom's groups. I mean, good grief. Like, I, the, first of all, the, the mom, wife, lady shamers, like, I don't know what kind of, like, nuclear toxic spill happened that, like, set loose all of these verbally aggressive people on the internet, but they need to stop, okay? <laughs> they totally, totally need to stop. And it can be really, really tough to hold your own and to authentically and bravely share your heart with the world, okay? Because we've never completely arrived. We never have it totally perfect. And just specifically to share that in forms of like social media, Facebook and Instagram, and to to survive the waves of attack that could come from people that are like, I am an expert and they need to know that I don't think this is good. I mean, good grief. That's, that's a totally other podcast. But today we are here to talk about One of my favorite things that not only has God ever done in my life, but that I got to share with the church and on that particular Sunday morning in August. And um, if you were to title today's talk, it would literally be this gentle and quiet spirit. Uh, No, that's going to be a no for me. If you don't know anything about my background, let me give you a little insight. Um, I grew up as the pastor's daughter here in South Texas, the oldest of three kids. I have a younger sister, Katie, younger brother, Evan. And um, as an adult today, I'm known to people in town as like the singer who's married to the football guy. But I was the firstborn to my parents. And I think being the firstborn is easily described as being the experiment. (laughs) Um, They don't really know what they're doing. They're working it out. Um, But I was the experiment to the young pastors of a growing church in Amarillo, Texas. That's where I was born. And from literally the first day of my life, I have had a large group of church people watching and evaluating my every move. Like, Everything I did, people were watching, evaluating, judging, and always pretty much giving feedback. It's delightful. <laughs> um, but that honestly, that was just life for me. I didn't, I didn't have an option. My life has always been an open book. And I thought that's how everybody had to do life. And then I got married and found out that that, in fact, was not normal and that my husband did not necessarily want to be an open book (laughs) 
to the world, which is totally fair. Um, to give you an example, the first time I held my middle school boyfriend's hand, um, I was at a, of course, a contemporary Christian music concert at the church house. Um, and I think I held his hand for like all of like 30 seconds. I mean, it was, you know, cold and clammy and you're nervous and you know, whatever. But the youth group was there. So we held hands for the first time. And I lived 10 minutes from the church. By the time I got home from the concert and it had ended, somebody had already called to tell on me to my parents that I had held my boyfriend's hand. So I have had people like all up in my mix forever with very strong opinions of how I was supposed to behave and honestly, like who I was supposed to be for them. If you'll stop and just take a second and think about the people in your life, um, there are people who love you for you. We talked a little bit about that last week. Those are your tribe. Those are your people. And then there are other people who honestly, like they love the idea of you. They love what you represent to them. And I was kind of like, you know, I don't even know what I would call myself, like the church, the church sacrifice, um, the stand-in. I was supposed to be the example for all of the other kids. Like I, I had parents all the time that were like, look, I just need you to spend some time with my daughter. Like she's just really, she's having some bad influences and whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm 14, but cool. I'll try. Like, what do I know about being a good influence at 14? Anyways, I explained to you guys a little bit last week that, um, I am a fourth generation Baptist preacher's daughter. So the expectation and the pressure from the church house, the church people for who I was supposed to be, uh, it did not, it was not limited to just present day. Like we're talking about like my uh, grandfather was a pastor. My great grandfather was a pastor, which means that my grandmother's um, were pastor's wives. And so like we lived in a lot of expectation. Um, my mom wrote a book called Conv- uh, well, not confessions. That's that's my book. She wrote a book called Windows in a Glass House. And um, it's it's that's what life is. I mean, you can't go to the grocery store in some ways without being evaluated. And, you know, if it was like we were rock stars, I think it, it might seem somewhat more glamorous, like it was paparazzi. But any time that you live under massive speculation and criticism, it is it is a very, very tough life. Like it it can be really, really tough. So, but what I want to talk to you about today is, um, (sighs) the expectation from the, from my church and even from my family of what it looked like in terms of the right way to be a woman. Um, we all have places that when we walk into, whether it's like family settings or business settings or whatever it is, um, where we're like, Oh, I really got to pull it together. Like, I need to wear the good shoes uh, or I need to like lower my personality. I need to change everything about myself. Like we all have those places where we feel like unless we alter and dramatically change our natural way of living and who we really are, um, we won't make it like we will, we will get hurt. We'll be in pain. We'll be rejected or there'll be a lot of conflict in our lives. And, um, we don't want conflict. Conflict is tremendously painful. So because a great deal of my life unfolded in the culture and expectation of the Southern Baptist church, I experienced a great deal of pressure from the culture and the tradition holders, the Southern Baptist church ladies. So as we talked about before, everybody experiences pressure from people, um, from standard bearers in our lives, our families, our bosses, our mothers, our grandparents, um, the cultures that we're in, our careers. This is just where I happen to experience mine. 
Now, if you haven't spent any time in the South, first of all, let us say, bless your heart. Um, the South is an incredible it's an incredible place. It is far from a perfect place, right? Like that's pretty obvious, but it is a place that's just wrapped in tradition and loyalty and faith and history and family and, and beauty. Honestly, it's a, it's a really, really incredible place, um, to be and to grow up. And there are a lot of really, really great things about it. Okay. Um, but let me describe to you a little bit of what it's like to encounter a Southern woman. Now, if you only grew up in Texas, I got to tell you right now, Texas women and Southern women, they're different. They, they can have some of the same characteristics, but a Texas woman is very, um, gritty and resourceful and, um, independent and sassy because like, sis, you weren't going to make it like trying to set up life and be a settler in Texas if you didn't have some grit, okay? And you're like fighting off things that are trying to eat you and attack you. Like there's a whole lot going on. Uh, Southern women, in my opinion, are best described in the following way, okay? Imagine the most beautiful, sweet smelling and inviting flower you've ever seen. As you draw in closer and breathe in the heavy fragrance and soak in the beauty of the vibrant colors, you suddenly realize that hidden inside of that gorgeous flower is a legit stick of dynamite, okay? Sure, you don't see a fuse that's been lit or hear a ticking clock attached and ready to explode, so there's not necessarily any like pressing danger right now, but that stick of dynamite is for sure there at the heart of that flower, and a wise person would proceed with caution. Y'all, that in many ways is a Southern woman. Beauty, grace, charm, and intelligence wrapped around a war-sized firecracker of spirit, loyalty, maternal instincts, and belief. Now, listen, she's a wondrous thing to behold, but let's just be honest, you do not want to cross her. Now, that's just a Southern woman, okay? A Southern Baptist woman, which is the world I grew up in, is a whole other phenomenon. She's wrapped in faith, tradition, religion, and protocol. But for time's sake, just know this. There's absolutely a right and a wrong way to be a woman in the South, and most especially in the church house. Needless to say, <laughs> my Spitfire personality and high-strung spirit were not exactly a natural fit. Now, in my humble and... I would call it a pretty educated opinion. Um, no one loves to throw around the gentle and quiet spirit Bible verses about, quote, real godly women, quite like the Southern Baptists do. We'll get into why later, but for now, it's important to know that just like in any other culture or family or industry, ladies can and will straight up lady shame you when you step out of line with a smile on their face, sweetness in their voice, and a casserole in their hand. And uh, if you need a definition for lady shame, just think about all the times that you've gotten like side eye or, you know, the once or twice over about what you're wearing or somebody's rolled their eyes at you or they've iced you out and not invited you to something. Any place that there's shade, judgment or criticisms, um, lady shame is a very powerful tool that is used by groups uh, to get us in line, ladies, right? Like we don't want to be embarrassed, Good grief, we don't want to be embarrassed and we don't want to be in pain. 
So for these particular ladies, uh, the, the Southern Baptist ladies, their founding creed seemed to be taken out of the New Testament's 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, which reads, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. First of all, Let's just be honest. That biblical description of what it means to be a godly woman hardly sounds exciting. I mean, it's the most non-Beyonce thing I can think of, but it's a big deal in the church house. And if you'll take just a second and you're maybe you're not super familiar with church or you don't spend a ton of time in church, but there, there are very specific things um, that are dictated by maybe your family's history or what's expected in your career or whatever of like, this is what you do and what you don't do as a woman. There are very strong and very tight, restrictive expectations that we can experience from all kinds of places. Again, this is just where I experienced it. And that verse in First Peter 3 it's like I heard it all the time. I don't. I heard it more than I ever wanted to. And although I desperately wanted to please Jesus and the church people, you know, so they'd be nice to me, in every possible way, it seemed to shout that everything natural about me and everything that I was even drawn to, that I delighted in, that brought me joy, everything that I found in life, it was wrong. So for starters, let's just break down the verse. Uh, I love me some big hair, sis. Like, love me some big hair. Uh, I also love me some giant gold jewelry and some fun clothes, okay? Love them. Like, I have too much of all of those three things, and in complete joy and excess, I have them and love them. At this point, as I'm starting to process this verse and like who I am, my natural things that I like and I don't like, panic has now set in on my heart. Like, I'm thinking, I'm sorry, did First Peter just call me a hooker because I loved big hair, gold jewelry, and fancy clothes? Oh, no. I mean, I, I'm way worse off than I originally thought. This is really, really bad. Second of all, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Oh, hell, y'all, this was the nail in the coffin. There is not a damn thing about me that is gentle or quiet. I mean, this this has gotten really, really bad. Let me just throw a side note in here. If, if this just makes your head explode that I just said, oh, hell, or damn, and I'm still talking to Jesus, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm not trying to offend you, but this is honestly how I talk to the Lord, and it's honestly how he talks back to me. Um, no matter how hard I tried to beat myself into submission, Every single time I heard that verse, I cringed down in my soul. I hated it. It was so condemning, so shaming, and straight up embarrassing for somebody wired like me. From that moment on, like I, I can remember being probably in college or even in high school when it was really like, and you don't have a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, it was clear and it was just like written on stone in my heart that like even God himself thought that I was too much. <laughs> the church ladies absolutely thought I was too much and they made it very clear. Um, but I was miserable trying as hard as I could. And honestly, y'all, I was just mad. I was mad about it all the time. 
I mean, I'm trying so hard, so incredibly hard to rein myself in all the freaking time, but it was not pretty. Now, if you grew up in the church house or, you know, any other, what I would call like very strict system, um, I was also convinced that somehow these weirdly powerful church ladies also held the keys to my happiness and love. I just knew that if I got myself, quote, gentle and quiet enough, that I would eventually find my husband. You know, let's be honest. I would eventually earn my husband. Can we just say, can we just say bless it? Like, bless my heart. We will always go after things that we feel like that we can earn, that we can attain. And that is, I've been married 10 years and I'll just tell you right now, that is, that is the farthest thing from what (laughs) marriage and God's gift um, of relationships really are. But every good church lady, in my opinion, knows that good godly men don't like quote, spirited women as wives, as lovers. Sure. But you better keep it between the lines of propriety. If you want him to put a ring on it and marry you in the church house or so I believed y'all, I spent years of my life trying to win over these, these damn church ladies trying to tame my wild heart. And in the end, I honestly found myself hating everyone, but most especially women, other women, because from where I sat, they were the ones tormenting and rejecting me. And I was miserable and exhausted. When you spend every waking moment of your life trying to change everything about yourself, second-guessing every decision in hopes that it will make people like you better, make them more comfortable with you, it's just a matter of time before you pretty much lose your mind. Like, lose it. It's exhausting. It's humiliating at the very core because you're rejecting yourself on the deepest level and trying to be something that you're not. And honestly, it sends you to a crashing end, like a crashing end. In my life, it's been at those significant breaking points, the places where I'm ready to admit, I am, I am just done. It, I really must be as crazy as they say I am. I'm exhausted, I'm worn out, and I'm just, I'm gonna give up. That is where the Lord comes in with his wild, expectation-shattering truth to set me free. This was absolutely true of this point in my life. And I'm so very grateful. And honestly, I, I reached this place where I was so exhausted from the war with myself, from the war on myself, that I finally turned to Jesus and pretty much just said, listen, we talked about this a little bit last week. I know that pretty much everything about me is wrong. According to like everyone around me, they're all telling me I should change these things. But I'm also pretty sure that you made me, all of me, exactly like this. Crazy, over-the-top, emotional, passionate, sensitive, intense, and all, Sarah Abigail Walker. So, Lord, I'm going to need to work this out with you because I cannot even crawl across this floor at at this point. I'm so beat up. I promise I can learn to trust you. I can learn to tune out the other voices, but I'm going to need to hear from you. Help. Help me, please. I mean, that's... To me, that's what prayer is. It is not about perfect language or even being in like the right place or the right frame of mind. It is talking honestly to the one who knows you and who can handle your deepest, darkest, most unflattering truths. Because that's the place that he shows up in our lives. And for me, he answered in power and mercy to my weary, bloody heart. 
So one of the biggest things that I have learned in my adult life in the last 10 years is this truth, okay? Jesus is not the same as the church. He's, he's not only not the church, he's also not their well-meaning but often sharp-tongued brothers and sisters. Maybe that's not particularly where your baggage is, so it sounds something more like this. Jesus is not the same as my mother. Jesus is not the same as my father. Jesus is not the same as my family. Jesus isn't the same as my boss. Jesus isn't the same as people. Jesus is Jesus, completely separate. So here's the thing. When we internalize and take as truth what others have said about us, how they have valued or devalued us, and how they've treated us, when we take all of that and we internalize it and say, this must be true, we're setting ourselves up for failure because it's a thwarted system. It's not based on truth. It's at best based on their current mood. I mean, Lord have mercy if like, if I'm going to base my self-worth on Susan's current mood, I mean, I, it's, that's a bad way to live, right? That you are really, really in a bad way. This is something that I learned, um, kind of, I have this quote written down and I just keep going back to it because there's so much truth into it. And it's something that I really had to latch onto during, especially during that initial step into secular music, like I shared with you guys last week. Okay. So here's, the truth. The problem with seeing yourself through other people's eyes or living for their approval of you is that at any given moment, regardless of what you are doing or even how well you're doing it, you are being filtered through their mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical state. And the truth is, is that most people are crazy as hell. I mean, y'all, they are. Let us live accordingly. I mean, most people are worried about most people. They're not worried about you or your feelings or where you need affirmation or how they think that you look in that outfit or if what you said was right. They're worried about them. And you know what? They should be. But we go through this crazy place as women where we give all of this power over to the outside world to affirm us, to encourage us. And now sure, there are absolutely points in our life where we need some outside perspective and we need some insight and, and that's fine. But living our lives to be affirmed by other people for them to tell us that we're okay or we're doing it right or we're worthy or whatever, that you're just never going to win. And it is an incredible trap of the enemy to keep us wrapped up and worried about what other people think instead of ever fully stepping into who God says that we are and all of the worth and the value that he says we have. Because y'all, if we ever step into that, like look out, game on. It's about to get real. You have a bunch of ladies who are high strung, who have a strong spirit, who have unwavering loyalty and faith and belief for their families and they step into all of who they are and they will change their freaking worlds. Like, of course the enemy wants to keep us sidelined. Of course. So he has all of these plans. And one of the things I just wanted to identify today is that one of his greatest plans is to keep you wrapped up in what other people think about you. 
it took me a long while to get here. I mean, a, a good long while. But after a lot of therapy and more than a few come to Jesus meetings with the real Jesus, not who other people told me he was, but who I experienced him to be, both in my personal experiences and then in my time with him in scripture, you know, the one who created me in my mother's womb and intentionally designed every part of me because he knows the plans he has for me. He delights in my firecracker personality. And I have finally embraced my high-strung spiritedness. And the truth is, is that I have never felt closer to Jesus. You know what? You never feel close to Jesus if you feel like you have to do all these things to earn your way into his presence. You just don't. You don't feel close to anybody if you feel like you have to do that. What are you? You're freaking nervous all the time. You're, you're pins and needles. Did I do this right? Did I not do this right? Like that, that's not who the Lord made us to be. He, he's called us to power. He's called us to authority because he wants to send us forth as exactly who he says we are. And we are his, his chosen, his highly favored, his royalty, his sons and his daughters. Y'all, I was having this conversation uh, the other day with with one of my friends from college, um, Christy, and she had, had commented on the podcast, and I was just like, listen, sis, I am just a recovering pastor's daughter, highly codependent people pleaser, trying to, you know, find my way here. And she was so cute. She was like, oh, yeah, sis, where would we be without Jesus in therapy? And I was like, jail. I'd be in jail. <laughs> Without Jesus in therapy, I'd be in jail or I would be one of the meanest, most uptight, just repressed, mad as hell women you have ever met. And so thank you, Jesus, for for you and therapy. That's a really, really big thing in my life um, and I hope in yours as well. The thing is, is that I can now see his power in me and through me in ways that make my heart sing. And I'm walking in an authority and a confidence that can only come from knowing that who, knowing, first of all, who you really are and that who you are is good. So if Jesus says that what he made in me was good, then I trust him. And everybody else, y'all, they can just work it on out. I mean, they can work it on out. I mentioned earlier that one of the greatest things that I've learned is that Jesus is not the church, nor their well-meaning, but often sharp-tongued sisters. Um, but here's what I want to say, because I don't, I don't want you to hear me that I'm like anti-church, because I'm absolutely not. The church has always been full of, and always we will be full of, humans. Warm-hearted, well-meaning people, but human nonetheless. And humans can misinterpret, wound, confuse, and reject you. But Jesus, he misinterprets nothing, and he knows the depths of our souls. It's extremely important to me that you hear this. I'm not saying that we throw out the church or its people, even when they've wounded us, even when they've gotten it wrong, because it's inevitably going to be filled with humanity. No, rather, we must approach church with a different expectation and understanding, always looking to Jesus alone for the real truth and extending grace to the humanity of things. People are going to get it wrong. I mean, they've gotten it wrong so much in my life. Like I had somebody tell me that I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't date and marry the man that I've married. I've had people tell me that, you know, like we talked about last week that I shouldn't be singing secular music and then I've left God. Like y'all, people say some crazy things. They just do. And I don't know what it is about, I don't know if it's as much about being a pastor's kid as it is just me, but like people just tell me things like, 
that's a podcast for another day, but they'll just come up and start telling me things. And, and it's in, I've had to learn how to process it and to filter it. And one of the ways that I've done that, and one of my absolute favorite prayers to pray is, is literally just this. And it's, Lord, separate the precious from the vile. Separate the precious from the vile. Show me the truth here and help me to throw away the lies. Because we're going to get a lot of feedback in our lives. And we, we're, we're wrong um, if, we don't, if we're unwilling to say, is there something here I'm supposed to learn? Is there any truth in any of this? And you take that before the Lord and what he shows you. And if you're like, man, I really did get angry. Like I need to work on my sharp tongue. Or I really took out how I was feeling about this in another situation. Like being a high strung woman and embracing who you are isn't a pass. I'm never saying that it's a pass on being unkind to people or or doing wrong things. What I'm saying is that we've got to give ourselves a a lot more grace. And part of doing that is to acknowledge that we have a lot going on inside of us and we can do a much better job of harnessing it and guiding it and directing it. Um, it's just essential in processing any kind of feedback from other people. Like you're too emotional, it's intimidating or whatever. And you just take that before the Lord and you're like, okay, what does this mean? What does this look like? What's the truth here? Like, was, did I speak in anger? Was I unkind? Was I unwilling to work with others? Like the, the, this is a, being a high strung woman is a very, very individual walk and a very individual journey, but so is walking with Jesus. Like that is wildly unpopular because there's not a 10 step plan for here's how to have a great relationship with God. It's you and him. And yeah, it's messy, but this is the thing when it's just you and him, nobody can take that away from you or talk you out of it because they just don't know. And if that isn't like the goal of our own personal relationship with Jesus is for us to know like in our bones who he is and what he has done for us personally in our lives, like our miracles, our, you know, the things that we've seen that our testimonies, you know, that that we can share and be like, look, I know that I know that I know that he's real. Um, That's what we're after completely. And that's just what he's done in my life through so much of this process. Um, There is actually a good bit more to this message that I got to share at Alma City Church. So much more that I decided to split and into two podcast episodes. Um, I don't want to be the lady in your phone who drones on and on forever. And you're like, oh my gosh, will you stop? Uh, We have staff meetings, right? We have parent-teacher conferences. We got all kinds of things in our lives. So I wanted to split it up so that you could watch it, um, watch it, listen to it. (laughs) Thank goodness there's not a video camera right now, y'all. I do my best work in like my worst clothes. Um, So anyways, uh, I will release both episodes at the same time so you can dive on if you want to, but I wanted to give you a chance um, to kind of split it up. And uh, the last thing I just want to leave you with is that in the next episode, I get to talk about two very important key things that happened in my life to really help me break free from that, those heavy expectations and pressures um, from the church ladies or from the people in my life that were pushing really hard for me to be something for them that they needed and wanted me to be, but that did not line up with how the Lord made me. So 
I am so honored that you took some time and we got to hang out. And y'all, we did some good work today. We did some good, good work. Um, and I'm so excited to share the next installment um, of this this episode, this message, if you will, with you guys. And I'm so grateful to you. So stay tuned. If you want to dive on into the next episode, we will do that. And as always, thank you so, so much for joining me for Confessions of a High Strung Woman. I am Abby Walker, and I will talk to you next week.